prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by love, your labor prompted by, sorry, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. There is the thank you. He thanks them for three things, for their work produced by faith. And just so you, if, if you're reading along and you go, he used the word work and he used the word labor. Those both were in the words in the English language mean work. Why would he use two different words? Because he's being very specific. Their work produced by faith is work in this context is deeply connected to duty duty that you are obligated to perform for both moral and legal reasons before the Lord, that type of work produces a response to what God has done for you to do something that you're obligated to do, that is producing action in you. So we heard James come along and say, faith without deeds is dead. We, we as believers, are given work to do. And he says that work produced by faith because we're responding to the character of God, that's what he's thanking them for. So folks, we really believe in a holy, good, just, compassionate, caring God. And when we put our faith in him, it is expressed in similar kinds of work that reflect his character. But then he goes on and he says your labor prompted by love. And this is more of a, of a, of a harvest type of labor. You, um, the type of labor where you go out and, and you know that it's going to bear fruit. You, you see the wages immediately. Uh, similar to a very simple action in my home. Uh, I've been, I've, we have four kids, 15, 12, 9, and 8. Two boys, two girls. The boys are the earliest. The girls are the last. And I can react to them in a moment and go, I can see that if I just show more grace and more love in this moment, I will uh, immediately see the, the harvest. I, or, or the flip side, if I do the wrong thing, I can immediately see how I push them down. So this love is deeply, th this type of labor is deeply connected to people. You see, you have a compassion for people. You have a love for people. And he's thanking them for their labor prompted by love that were motivated to reach out to others in real, tangible expressions of care. So he, he might have used your compassion prompted by love. The third thing he's thankful for is their endurance. Inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you think about that word endurance, there are so many metaphors for that word. He's thankful that they are remaining in Christ. That they're, that they're remaining. That's the, that's the deepest sense of that word. That they're, just, that they're just hidden in Christ. Restoration Church, if you want to be a compassionate church, you need to be first hidden in Christ. That you're enduring with him. But then the other metaphors that we get at are running the race, taking 
stand, standing firm, being steadfast. So those are the three things that he's thankful for. He's thankful that they're working, they're doing moral and ethical things because they're responding to their faith. He's He's uh, encouraged that they are compassionately laboring, being prompted for love for other people, and he is thankful that they are enduring in their difficult situation. And he's going to now, through the rest of the chapter, he's going to give them four specific examples of this. He's going to start each little section with for or and, and he's going to say, for you're doing this, for you're doing this. And so he's going to get a little bit more specific. And he pairs them all in threes. So if we look at verse four, we come to our first because. This is why I'm saying this. This is the grounds on which I'm standing. When I say I'm so thankful for all of your acts, this is why. Here are some specifics. For brothers loved by God, sorry, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply in word, but also with powerful authority, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. For you know the men that we were when we proved to be among you for your sake. The first reason why he's thankful that they're working and laboring and enduring is because he knows they've been chosen by God because they've seen all of the evidence of the Holy Spirit being there. They've seen all of the evidence of them accepting the word and its powerful authority. He understands that they're deeply connected to the Lord. Sometimes when we think about the idea of compassion, where, where is the weight? Is it on humanity or is it on the sovereignty of God? When we think of the idea of going out and serving others as a, as a point of maturity, we tend to be a little bit egocentric, both in we're successful and unsuccessful. When we're successful, pat ourselves on the back for being such thoughtful people. When we are unsuccessful, we tend to uh, throw ourselves down and, 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 and feel the weight of responsibility solely. But, but Paul says he knows that they've been chosen by God. You have been chosen by God to do this type of labor. He is the one who calls you and empowers you. Think about it this way. God in his triune nature where the three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Father is the initiator. Brothers, you're loved by God. Brothers and sisters, he's chosen you. The Son is the authoritative embodiment. The good news came with word and power, and the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. And the the energizer is the energizer of our mission. When, when we think about going out and doing compassionate ministry as a way to become mature and to serve other people, is deeply connected to our relationship with God. It is not deeply connected to our up and down success, unsuccess, our, our, our fail rate or our success rate. It is deeply connected to God has called me to his mission. This is his plan because he is such a great and good 
and compassionate God. Timothy says, Paul says to Timothy, we, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. We're just co-laborers with God. There's nothing that you're going to do or be called to do that God is not already initiated. And so we just remain close to him. We remain seeking his will being careful and mindful of his character. You know, one of the major problems in Canada right now is that church does not have a good definition for compassion that lines up with justice and mercy together. We're kind of moving in more of a socialist, Marxist idea of what compassion is. We need to go back to the scriptures and say, even in our ministries of love, what does that mean? Secondly, he, he says, again, we are, we're thankful for you, you again. And he unpacks uh, for them in verse 6 another thing they've done. And he says this, And you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word with much affliction and yet with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. Church, if we want to be examples, there's a, there's a process here where we first receive the word. And uh, particularly the Th Thessalonians received the word with much affliction. If you just flipped over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, you'd uh, see that they, uh, in Macedonia, Paul was there for only three weeks and then the Jews became jealous and they rounded up some of the bad characters from the marketplace and formed a mob and they started a riot and they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them to the crowd. But they did not find them. So they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others pay a post bond and let them go. They, they, they made them pay and they made them promise we won't, we won't, we won't make an uproar in the city. And so the Thessalonians had received the word even in the middle of that difficulty. Let me ask you this question. Has, has your faith ever once cost you a post bond? Have you ever had to go down to the local? By the way, I've never been to this area of Cambridge. No idea that the, there was a city on this side of the water. <laughs> like, went to Heritage when it first moved to Cambridge graduated, went to the old mill for dinner, always looked across the water and said, who will go to those people? <laughs> not I. I will not cross the river. The great grand. But I was thinking about that this week. These people accepted the word of God in a context that within the first three weeks of their faith, even their good holistic, maturing, compassionate ministry to Paul and Silas and Timothy, 
led a guy to have to go down to the local magistrate and pay a bill and promise that he wouldn't set the city on fire. Your compassionate ministry to others is going to cost you personally. And we as a church in North America, man, do we whine well. My children help with the PowerPoint at our church. And I tell you, man, do we whine if the words are a little bit late going up. I only noticed Albert once today, just one time. We were late once. This guy had been a Christian for three weeks. And he was already down at the local jail. Paul says, you accepted my word. You accepted the word of the Lord in affliction. And then with the joy of the Holy Spirit, again, Paul is repeating himself. Each three times, it's something about accepting, something about the work of the Holy Spirit, and something about hoping in Christ. And what we need to realize is that our evangelistic efforts and our compassionate efforts must be defined in the accepting of the word and then the manifestation of God's work in our lives, the work of the kingdom in both word and deed. And that is how we become an example to all of the believers. We are not to just proclaim Jesus and tell people that we're here to do something nice. We need to actually, within our hearts, grasp that if the gospel is transforming my heart, then I have the ability to take the light of Jesus through both word and deed into any situation. So compassionate work is not starting a food bank. It might be, but it's not limited to that. It may be you in your workplace saying, Father, how do I bring the light of the gospel both in my word and my deed so that I am an example of, of what it is to be transformed by Jesus into this moment, no matter what it costs, in this public space that I am living. It's not just a program extended from the church. It is a whole culture of people who are changed and matured and who in their day-to-day -day interactions. You notice how Paul does not say, I'm so thankful you set up a program for the poor. He said, I'm thankful that you imitated us with the joy of the Holy Spirit, you accepted the word. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you became an example. That is what restoration is. That is what... So if this body of believers here gathered, if you're restoring one another, you're having compassion towards one another, and in your day-to-day -day interactions with one another, and that overspills into your personal and public lives, that is when you have an example to follow. That's where someone writes a letter and says, we are so thankful for Restoration Church in the city of Cambridge. Is there, is, are we in a particular pocket of Cambridge? I know there's Hespler. Where are we? I just don't want to say... West Galt. We're West Galt. Okay. 
Someone says, we're so thankful for you being in West Galt and no one else in the world knows where that is. <laughs> there are two main things here and I just want to land on this. You've received the word in affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit and you became an example. There's two things that we just need to realize. We must remain in Christ to change the world. They followed the example of the apostles and Christ. They remained in him. Remember how Jesus warns us, apart from me, you can do nothing? I know most of you Bible-believing Christians, you're sitting there going, who would ever think of doing church not in the name of Jesus? Who would ever think of doing anything of compassion not in the name of Jesus? But how often do we do it? How often do we go, I'm going to do this work of service in order to build a relation, in order to rebuild and raise up my community. But Jesus might offend people, so I'm going to do it in my own quiet name. We have to remain in Christ as we do these things. Giving glory to Christ while we do these things. Giving service to Christ while we do these things. Not evasive in any way, but coming and proclaiming both the gospel and then manifesting that it's because of Jesus that I'm being transformed. When we manifest something, that just means we reflect it. We become its ambassador. We become its living example. Secondly, we need to remember not only do we need to remain in Christ, but we need to remain in Christ in all things to become these mature, compassionate people. It is not that we live in a dualistic world where I go to church and I do compassionate things and then I move out into the real world and I just navigate my job and survive. David Bosch rightly points out that in the early church, the idea of a religion that is a private affair of divorcing the private spiritual realm from the public physical vocational realm, work realm, was unthinkable. And I Packer used examples of the Puritans who transformed North America as they came and, uh, I want to say pilgrimed, but I know that's not the right word. What's the right word? Settled. That is the right word. Thank you. As they came and settled the area, he said the Puritans exemplified maturity. We don't. Spiritual warfare made the Puritans what they were. They accepted that conflict was their calling, seeing themselves as the Lord's soldier pilgrims, not expecting to do anything, not expecting to advance the kingdom a single step without opposition of one sort or another. Your good, godly, compassionate, Jesus-honoring example can't be this quiet little side thing. It's the show. It's your life. And that will lead to you having to make decisions in a public sphere. My colleague at the Ezra Institute, Joe Boot, writes, it would be a serious mistake to jettison any way minimize the proclamation of Christ and his biblical an attempt to replace it with a need. It, it, 
be a huge mistake as you think of compassion. I might need to use this. I'll just yell, to be honest with you. you, you you've seen me yell. So if it fades in and out, just say you're fading. Is that better? So let's just think of the three metaphors that Jesus has given this when we think. talking about being compassionate people. We're not just setting up things outside of ourselves. It's a, it's a heart attitude that is sometimes expressed in things that we set up, but it's coming from our inside. And it, and it can't be something that we just uh, hold out there for a little while. So what are the metaphors? When Jesus said, you are the... How many said there's three things? Salt of the earth... And he talks about salt and salt being good for nothing if it loses its saltiness. And we know that salt is a preservative and it's a flavor. And when we think of salt, we ask questions like, um, what good in society are Jesus followers trying to keep wholesome? What corruption do they oppose? How are they penetrating a culture in order to give it God-given holy flavor? That's that metaphor of salt. And we in Canada know what you do with salt when it's loses its saltiness. You throw it out on your walkway and hope that you don't trip on the ice. What's the second metaphor he gives us? You are the light of the world. And why is it that Jesus would say, you're the light of the world, Nobody lights a lamp and then puts a bowl on it. Why would he say that if our tendency wasn't to put a bowl on it? We want to be compassionate people in the name of Jesus. But when it's out here, we want to put a bowl. We want to, we, we want to put a bowl on Jesus. Like we, 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 don't want to, we don't want to invade the darkness. We just want to survive. So we put a bowl. That's why Jesus said, don't lose your saltiness and don't lose your don't put a bowl over your light because it's a tendency. He didn't warn the church of that because it's not our problem. That is our very problem. When we talk about growing up in maturity, it is often about private survival and not about public invasion of light into darkness. That's what a compassionate church is about. Invading darkness. So therefore, your compassionate, evangelistic maturity in a holistic idea is defined as Christians bringing hope to individuals and influencing society by bringing the reign of Christ into every aspect of people's private and public lives. That's evangelistic, compassionate ministries and a culture of that within our hearts properly defined. And Paul is thankful that he's seeing that in the Thessalonian church. Now the next two points are going to go much quicker for those of you who are looking concerned. 
And just so you know, there are some of you who are looking concerned. I'll try not to look at you now that I've said that. I, I know I'm a, I'm, I, I'm a very mean listener. I've noticed myself. I can, I can, I, my, I have to work at my face. Like I tend to, you know, when someone's, and I have to be nice. He comes along and he says another four. And in, he says this, for the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere so that we do not even need to say anything about it. The third reason why he's happy, this third of thirds, is that the word of the Lord has rung out with them and then one, two, three, not only in Macedonia, but their faith has gone everywhere so I don't have to say anything about it. And he's just praising them, saying, look, look at what God is doing because of your example. You're becoming Christ-like. You're, you're imitating the Lord, and look at what God's done. Your reputation is being wrung out. The, the, the word of the Lord is ringing out from you. Think about that idea, rang out. Let's talk about, let's just interact a little bit. Try to talk, okay? Don't be scared. When you, think of the, when you think of the idea of ring out, what are some things you think of ringing out? A bell. A bell where? Just anywhere. Okay, but in the church. When you did that, I think of a guy at Christmas who does the herald, old-fashioned herald thing. Where, what, else, what else do you think about ringing out? Your cell phone. Where? In the middle of my message. <laughs> right? You, you, how many of you had that experience? Like, you're, I remember being at a church once. It was my old church in Barrie. And the pianist, like one of our best pianists, was up there and she is just rocking it out. And she had the most obnoxious cell phone tone that was like a Leafs, you know, what's the Leaf, what's the leaf thing? That nobody knows the Leaf? Good for you. I'm a soccer fan. I haven't watched the Leafs in 10 years. Good for everybody not else caring. That's great. But her, her phone is in her purse, like in the front row, and she's playing, and it's like, dun, 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 dun. Right? That's what we're, their faith is ringing out. My wife is on a cruise. She called me. She typically, the only time my wife was interested in talking to me this week was when she was working out. Like, I have nothing better to do to talk on the treadmill, so I'll give you a call. Every, for the rest of the week, it was like crickets. But my wife's not a morning person, and every day the loudspeaker of the ship would come on and announce the time and announce the port and announce the location. And she's laying in bed going, like we know. And we don't care. <laughs> That's the type of ringing out. It's not this uh, little ringing out. But if you're a compassionate, mature, evangelistic, holistically thinking, culture, not just program, light invading darkness, your faith will ring out. It will just be obnoxious. And he goes on four again themselves report this is about the people around what kind of reception you gave us they tell how you turned to god from idols to serve the living and true god 
and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. He's kind of repeated three things, three times. And here it's the clearest. Church, do you want to become a compassionate, mature church? We receive the word and his people, even in times of difficulty. We receive it so that people will make note that our reception of the word and God and his people is noteworthy. How do you receive people in your life when they come to you with an exhortation? And I'm telling you, I've been a pastor now for over 20 years. How old am I? been a pastor for 23 years now. And I can tell you categorically, hands down, as to whether somebody is going to mature in my church or whether they're going to leave my church. I can usually tell within our three interactions with them. I'm not talking leaving like, we love the church, but we're moving for a job. I'm talking about, are you going to get... Are you going to become mature? Are you going to grow up? Am I going to be able to depend upon you to pull your weight around here? Am I going to see a compassionate? Am I going to see a mature, holistic, evangelist? All this type of, am I going to see that in you? And I can usually tell in three interactions right now, and it has everything to do with, will they receive our people and God's word well? Man, if I got a couple that comes in, I just, I just went through this. Homeschooling family of 38 children. And I'm a homeschooler, and I have four, so I'm on the verge of a big family, but not quite. Homeschooling, we would love to have them stay, but the whole time, around and they're evaluating. Not caring. Hi, how you doing? My name is Mike. They're not getting into their lives. They're not engaging my people. They're just, are these people going to be able to meet our mark? And then secondly... When I preached on the Pharisees, so we're working through the book of Mark, and I got to a time where I knew, I I speak two out of six times so that I can be traveling around like this, but my two were on the Pharisees, and everyone in the church knew that I was really excited about preaching about hypocrisy, and I kind of, they let that out. They didn't show up those two weeks. It's like, done, they're gone, they won't be back, because they won't receive his people and his word well. If you want to be a compassionate church, you have to. You want to grow up in that? You've got to receive God's word and his people well. Secondly, turning from idols and serving the living and true God. He said three times, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came. You received the Holy Spirit. Joy, Holy Spirit. And now he clarifies what he's meaning by all of that Holy Spirit is that you've been regenerated. You've turned from idols. And now you serve God because the Holy Spirit is working in you. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, turn from idols and serve God. You know, church, we can't be a mature church full of compassion if we've got a whole bunch of idols in our lives. Think of back from that holds you back from caring about people more than you care about yourself. I've got four already, and I'm doing two things at the same time. You should be able to know one. What's an idol in my life? that the Holy Spirit hasn't transformed yet. Giving's the most obvious. You know, I can say this because you're not my church, but man, is it hard when I see a young family come and say, who 
Woo, we are just giving as much as we can. We're like up to 2% now. 2% of what? I just paid 2% of my salary on coffee. What are you talking about 2% to the Lord? Or, you know what, we really want to, but we're at a really busy family time in our life. Well, look around. We're all, we're all busy. Get in here. Do something with your life. Like, you think you're special that you don't get to do anything until you're 50? And then when all of a sudden life isn't busy, you could, like, people, we give the lamest excuses because we have idols. I, I like to binge watch Netflix. That's eight hours a week. And therefore, designated survivor says, I can't do this in the church. I'm on season two, episode seven. Don't tell me how it ends. <laughs> I like my money. I want to have everything. I, I struggle with lust. It means it's really hard for me to be authentic in relationships with guys. And it's also hard for me to be authentic in relationship with gals too sometimes. You know, I... Uh, there's this promotion at work I really want. And if I bring the light of Jesus into my workplace, I will never get a management job. Do you know in Egypt right now, there are a number of occupations that Christians can't get just because they're a Christian? Because it affects like, their ability to just say yes or no to Egyptian policies. Doctors and lawyers man, if I really want to be a medical doctor, I'm going to have to be able to give a party answer to abortion. Oh, in Canada, I have to be affirming of every lifestyle. Like, we've got we've to stop serving our idols and serve the true God because the Holy Spirit is working at us. And we're motivated again by the return of Christ. Am I going way too long? Because I only have the rest of the book to go through. <laughs> so just flip back and we'll just do a little bit of summary because I'm a slow person and I need to repeat things for myself. He's thankful that they had work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, and endurance inspired by hope. And the way that he sees those things living out very specifically in people's lives are that they receive the word and his people well. So that's their work produced by faith. They're hearing the word of God. They're seeing the people of God exhort them. They're responding in faith and it produces work. Then their labor prompted by love. The Holy Spirit is working within them. They're turning from their idols. And now they're seeing all of these service opportunities for the Lord because God is -trans transforming their hearts to be not so self-centered, idol worship focused, but God-centered and others focused. He's working in that. And he's thankful that they're enduring, inspired by the hope of our Lord Jesus. And he, again, reiterates that you're waiting and you're hoping for the return of Christ. Anybody name your daughter Esperanza? Anybody? You should. And, uh, or 
Uh, yeah, Esperanza is the Mexican. It, when we were learning Portuguese, one of my most favorite words was the word espera. Uh, espera means to wait and to hope at the same time. Depending on the context in which you're using it, of which now I have no ability to do because I've lost it all, you are either saying you're hoping or you're waiting. So I always say to my kids when they're like at me, at the door, Dad, we got to go. I want to do, I see, ha, Dad, I got to, wait for me in the car and hope that I will come there sometime. <laughs> Just wait and hope. Spera. I use it so often that my kids actually know that Portuguese word quite easily. Where we'll be out and, and we'll be in a, in a restaurant and all of a sudden they'll just hear it and they'll go, someone just told someone to wait and hope. And Esperanza. There, I want to come back in 10 years. Three children need to be named Esperanza. We wait and we hope on the Lord. That's what he's thankful for. So do you want to be a church the pastor Aaron and your elders, or just even as brothers and sisters in Christ, you're writing back and forth to, a, to, to each other saying, you're my crown. You're my glory. I am so glad you're in my life because you do these things. Your faith means you listen to God's word and his people. Your love means your idols are gone and you're serving the Lord and, and, and his people. You're waiting on Jesus' return. And that's what brings you hope, not the next thing. Matt Redman wrote a song, and I'll close with this. I just love it. Could we live like your grace is stronger than all our faults and failures? Could we live like your love is deeper than our hearts could fathom? Could we live like this could, could we live like this? Could we live like your name is higher than any other power? Could we live like your ways are wiser than our understanding? Could we live like this? Yes, our God is all he says he is. Jesus, in your name, we could change the world. We stand in your love, in your power. All you say we are. Jesus, in your name, we could change the world. Yes, our God is all he says, all he says he is. Jesus, in your name, we could change the world. Go home and read the whole letter of the first, the first letter to the Thessalonians. One of the best things I was told in Bible college, read a letter like a letter. Go home, spend an hour, read the whole thing. And what you'll see is he lays it out in chapter one, and the rest of the letter is just him giving examples of how they've done this in his life. It's truly a rock star church, and it's been such an encouragement for me to study this week. Let's pray, and then Aaron will come up. Dear Father, we're thankful for your word. Please give us strength to accept it. Give us joy in the spirit to turn from our idols and help us to hope in Jesus and nothing else. We ask that Restoration Church would become that type of church where the mayor of Cambridge is saying, I'm so thankful for you, where brothers and sisters here write letters to each other for years to come. I'm so thankful for you, where 
Pastor Aaron can look back on this as a place of joy and not a place of hurt and say, I'm so thankful for you. You are my crown because we do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Mike. We don't have that song. Oh, that would have been awesome to sing. But we, we'll have to check it out. Maybe sing it next week. <laughs> As I throw more things at the worship team. Uh, we're going to stand and sing one final song uh, in, in praise of our God and the hope of our God that he is the God of this city. So why don't we stand and sing, and the worship team is going to lead us one final song. <laughs>